What is up my pedigree chums uh, and welcome to the fourth episode of Not Average. Um, so k- keeping with the trend of the previous episodes, I'm going to have a little bit of a talk about uh, sport and particularly Arsenal because, well, nothing exciting in sport has really happened since then as far as I'm concerned. Um, and yeah, basically Arsenal snoozed their way to a win against Huddersfield. It was uh, pretty boring. Uh, I think um, last time... Uh, we spoke that we were going to play Manchester United as well, and that, although being a four-goal thriller, was also a, a bit of a snooze fest. Like none of the goals were good. It was like a goalkeeping error, defensive error, nothing spectacular. So, um, the sports section is probably going to be pretty slim in this episode because, to be completely honest, even though Arsenal comes out of it uh, not having lost still, um, and Torreira scored an amazing goal in the Huddersfield game. The rest of it was pretty boring. Um, there's a, a, a large amount of simulation, as they call diving in football these days, um, mainly carried out by Arsenal players. Um, I think, generally speaking, that probably one of them was deserved. Uh, Gwendozi chucked himself to the floor in uh, the penalty area. Um, Mustafi, he got one. I think he got kicked. He did go down like an absolute spud, but the reality is, is that nowadays, um, if you get contact and you go down, that's not simulation. Well, certainly not in every other game I watch. Um, I mean, half the time, uh, players go down without contact and they just go, Oh yeah, I was anticipating contact. And it's kind of like, I, I can understand that, but I guess it kind of depends on whether you like look around at the referee and try and gain an unfair advantage by um, diving. Um, the one against Xhaka, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't really recall him sort of uh, appealing for a free kick or anything. I think he just fell over um, and he got booked for diving. It was kind of like, I feel like I certainly and the commentators on the American stream I was watching uh, thought that it was the Huddersfield player getting banned, uh, banned? Uh, booked for persistent fouling uh, which wasn't specifically that guy it was just that they had been uh, persistently found doing little niggly fouls um but then it turned out to not be him it was uh Xhaka getting booked for diving um and diving annoys me uh I don't care if it's our players or other players doing it so so far as I'm concerned good um I mean I think booking someone for falling over is probably a step too far but um uh, if if referees applied this um, kind of strictness across every game, I'd be all for it. Uh, regardless, you know, they won't do. We all know that. So uh, it is what it is. Um, and anyway, Arsenal's got a game against Quarabag or something like that uh, in their next game, which is tomorrow, Thursday, um, which, to be completely honest with you, I couldn't care less about. Uh, we've already like one our group and it's just going to be a an absolute snooze fest i imagine well it might be interesting to see the um uh the the new like uh youth players coming through and that sort of stuff but and i'll, and I'll definitely watch it but it's just a case of uh you know i feel like they should figure out a way to make these games have some meaning because like for example manchester united and manchester city play tonight um, in the Champions League, and neither of those games mean anything either. So they'll probably be, um, well, it, it just doesn't matter. That's the thing. It doesn't matter if they're good games or bad games because it makes no difference to anything. Um, and I feel like that they should figure out some way of 
devising the contest so that we don't end up in a situation like that because you know um i mean i, I don't know whether those games are away or at home or whatever but one of the teams has got to travel to get to that game and if you make the effort it's pretty annoying to see a game that doesn't mean anything and the players are not invested in etc etc um so yeah i think maybe uefa or whoever should figure out a way of making all the games count um but anyway that would we'll call that for the sports section of today's podcast uh, and move on to technology and i suppose the um the biggest technology thing, well, not even really the biggest, it's just a thing. Um, the, the UK news cycle has been largely dominated by Brexit shenanigans. And to be completely honest with you, I'm so over it. And I, I assume that if you're listening to this from uh, anywhere that cares about Britain and its political m- falling around, this, um, you've probably already heard plenty about Brexit and the, the absolute shambles that seems to be uh going on with that so i certainly will not be adding to that here but as i was saying the uh the the thing that i was confronted with most today when i was looking through some stuff was uh um google being well not google specifically but certainly um uh what's his face uh sandar pachai the uh alphabet or google ceo uh main man he was in front of Congress, and it, and as with the Mark Zuckerberg situation, it was kind of embarrassing. Um, you just see these people who don't really understand what they're talking about. I kind of feel like maybe they were a little bit better in this one, probably because of the absolute um, embarrassment of the Zuckerberg one, where they just were asking some insane things. But at the same time, they still were asking some pretty insane things. Uh, there was a guy going on about... Can Google tell if my, um, if I walk sort of 15 meters across the room, um, to go sit with my mate? And it's like, well, you know, I, I don't think that that's the question that you're actually trying to ask. You're trying to ask whether Google is monitoring your location. Uh, and obviously, uh, the guy from Google was trying to answer that question in a way which doesn't just sound like, yes, we track you all the time, which is fine. Because they don't track you all the time unless you give them permission to do so, allegedly. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a Google engineer. I don't know the ins and outs of secret things that they get up to. But um, that 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 is, you know, that's the story that I, I understand is that if you have something, a Google application or a uh, an Android phone or whatever, and you've got location services turned on, it's going to track you to an extent so that it can deliver the services that you that you want. Um, but he just had a really weird way of trying to put across his message and, uh, and kind of make it, I don't know what he was really trying to do in terms of make it seem negative. This is one of the things that I always find amazing is that these people don't seem to super research their questions. They must know that they're having the CEO of Google or Alphabet, um, there to ask questions and they, they ask random stuff, which is, which a simple Google search ironically could tell you the answer to, um, Rather than getting into the nitty gritty of stuff that, you know, would, you know, probing questions that, I mean, don't be wrong. I don't expect, firstly, I don't expect them to be internet engineers. And I also don't expect Sundar Pachai to be able to tell you the deep technical answers about everything, but asking them questions which are a bit uncomfortable and a bit sort of difficult to answer that he should be able to answer. 
I think is what they should be doing. Uh, and they, as far as I've seen in any of the coverage, didn't really do that. They just ask ridiculous things and talk about things. Like there was a guy, um, asking him how a pop-up which said some, which was apparently offensive came up on his daughter's phone, which, and he was holding up an iPhone and, uh, the guy from Google is like, yeah, you know, how can I possibly answer this without any more information about that? And also, um, that we don't make iPhones. Um, but I mean, that's the level of sort of embarrassment that, well, not embarrassment, embarrassing questions that get asked, asked to the guy. Um, one of the things I enjoyed the most is what there was a guy and I, I forget who he was. I should have written it down. Um, who, he seemed to almost be on Google's side, um, which I find strange. It's like, in my mind, it shouldn't have been a case of taking signs. It should be, uh, sides. It should be a case of, you know, asking questions that are, are, um, relevant to your, uh, citizens. So stuff that like uh, people would want to know how it affects them and all that sort of stuff. But no, they're just asking him about, Oh, is Google making, you know, what's going on when if you type an idiot, it shows a picture of Donald Trump and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, uh, so he's basically got to tell them how if loads of people link the word idiot to Donald Trump, it's going to service, uh, surface that. But there was a guy, um, who basically was like, if you don't want negative things to come up in Google search, when people search your name, don't do negative things. And I think, um, and it was from, he was like, used, he used a guy's name, uh, and he searched it and the top news thing came up from ABC news. So like, a, a what I guess is a re- respectable news source. Um, and it was a negative thing. And he was basically like, well, you know, that's because that's the thing that's done. And, uh, Pachaya also was like, well, yeah, it, it works off of um, ranking pages based on how much people are talking about it, linking to it, and you know whether it's got the keywords and all that sort of stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff which makes Google work how Google works, and obviously he has to try and present that in a layman's terms kind of way um, that these people are going to understand, um, which I think is easier said than done. Bearing in mind some of the questions that they ask. Um, they, th- there was a, an aspect of it. I think they, one of them asked a question about whether they actually have people, like someone types in a search and someone put, like answers. And, and I know that some companies in the past have used people to do fake AI stuff. Uh, obviously, I guess to try and, um, simulate an experience for investors or whatever, but I don't think Google is that company. Uh, I mean, they would need a lot of people who are very, very fast at finding stuff to, uh, manage to, uh, fake what they're doing with people um so yeah i mean it was just it was just ludicrous i mean and i do agree with what that guy says it's like if you don't like it that the negative things come up on google when you search your name how about you do some positive things and and get people talking about the positive things that you're doing and then miraculously positive things will come up uh and, and even if negative things come up as well there'll be a selection of both that's kind of how it works i mean i feel kind of sorry for him in that you know he's basically trying to say the algorithm is the same for every website if you happen to be on the negative side of that then you're doing something wrong (laughs) well i don't even know if they are doing something wrong but it's just like let's be realistic here um all this sort of fake news stuff they've got to try and figure a way out to stop that from coming up Uh, and don't be wrong like the stuff where google is linking in in google search to fake news uh 
you know, there was a thing about um, some killer, and that in the top index thing, if you if you searched for, I think it was uh, that shooter at the hotel or something. Uh, you know, one of the many random shooters that they have in America. Uh, if you search for that event, it brought up a thing saying that some guy who it wasn't him uh, was the person who did it. So, you know, there's definitely stuff that they they need to do, and I think they are doing it to try and stop fake news from interfering with um, real news. Um, but I mean, realistically, I do question whether it's Google's job to to do news like you know it's difficult it's, it comes down to sort of a, 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 a almost like a moral dilemma and also whether um, people are the expectation of people to be clever enough to know news sources and what's good and you know like for example if you see a news story from um, 4chan or something like that and that's literally the source of it then I think it's reasonable to assume that maybe that the highest standards of journalism haven't been involved in that story whereas if you see something from uh, routers or uh, AP or BBC or something like that uh, and I, again I'm not suggesting that those are um, absolutely faultless uh, bastions of journalism but certainly um, I would rate though against uh some rando just chirping on um on a forum an anonymous forum at that um so yeah i mean it's uh, it's a difficult one a difficult problem and like but again as with like the previous uh, podcast where i was talking about responsibility for being hacked i don't know that it's google's responsibility um to do that i mean if a fake news story is the most talked about and most linked to article about a subject <sighs> maybe that is the one they should be returning at the top I, it's difficult um i think it's just people's inability to do critical thinking uh, is such a massive problem on all social media well all social media and the internet in general and in in life in general you know the amount of times you hear stuff that people say and just think R really like do you even think that that's true um i mean i I think that I probably swing a bit far the other way in that I doubt almost everything I hear. <laughs> um, but I think the benefit of that is that I don't get taken too easily. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a funny one. Um, but certainly it was, uh, and, and a hundred percent before we go on, if there's anyone listening from America, I don't think that this is some scenario that wouldn't be borne out in, in any political system for any country i think that none of these people have any real understanding of uh of how technology and the internet and stuff works i mean you can you just have to look at that new uh, uh law that australia's brought in whereby the uh authorities can compel you to de like decrypt um information there has to be backdoors built into stuff um i i think i was reading somewhere that they can get a they could get for example a bank employee or a bank employee is probably the wrong thing an employee of a company compel them to allow authorities to access something and that and that that employee is not allowed to tell their boss <laughs> that that has happened um it's just very shady and also just ludicrous i mean even if they had a way for example i i i, I think there's supposed to be some punishment if you break the law there's uh, in in that you stop authorities from seeing encrypted uh, data um i think there are some repercussions to that but 
I was I was saying before, like if if, if this was a law designed to target all these big time criminals and child molesters and all this sort of stuff, um, you'd have to ask yourself, uh, is is the punishment likely to be with the punishment for not a decrypting some communication going to be worse than the punishment for the crime that they've actually done? The reality is, is that I don't think that those are the people who are going to be affected by this at all 99.9% of the time. It will be normal people uh, getting spied on by the government or authorities. Um, and I'm absolutely not behind it at all. I think it's ridiculous and I think it's very dangerous precedent to set. Um, and I, you know, I, th- I think stuff like even the Snoopers Charter in the UK is ludicrous as well. I mean, all of this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you get, you get the public going, well, I haven't got anything to hide. It's like, you haven't got anything to hide, but your, your data is valuable, um, and can be used, uh, in ways that you probably don't instantly think about. Um, you know, it's very awkward because you kind of start sounding like you're some kind of crazy conspiracy theorist or something like that as soon as you start going on about it, which um, isn't really the case at all. I mean, I just think it's the fact that all this data with big data can be used, even if it's anonymously, to impact you and affect you um, in ways that you don't think. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, if Tesco's, a supermarket uh, over here in the UK, was to analyse your, and they do, analyse your club card data, uh, which is like a club card, which I'm sure every supermarket in every country has these days, they're going to be able to tell, you know, when when you've got a cold, um, you know, various other things. Just think anything that you buy from the supermarket, they're going to be able to tell when you buy it. Uh, and also track your movements around the country because if you go to different Tesco's in different shop, uh, different places, they're going to be able to tell that. Um, and they're not even trying; they're only using that information to sell you stuff. But then, it, as they start using larger and larger data sets, they can do stuff like figure out the psychology of people. So, you know, they use this information to like know what they should be putting near the front door of the shop. Uh, you know, they can they can make a change in stores, see how that affects the 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 data. Uh, and then, and basically become like a ruthless supermarket selling machine, which is what they're doing. But you only have to think it's only a little stretch to where the government starts doing similar things to make people do what they want them to do. So you're not, you know, you appear to have the illusion of freedom, but they're manipulating scenarios to the point where you're, you're seemingly for your own choice doing what they want you to do. Um, and you know, there's evidence of them doing similar sort of stuff with the whole Brexit voting in the first place. And I know that I said I wasn't going to talk about Brexit, but it's relevant to that topic. Um, so yeah, that whole Australia privacy thing. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the top of a, uh, a pyramid and a very slippery slope. Um, one that I hope that the rest of the world manages to avoid. And I hope that Australia manages to turn around because it's just like I'm Australian. I have an Australian citizenship and I, that is just a thing that I really dislike. Uh, anyway, um, kind of going back to the uh, the Google scenario, um, one of the things that they were getting pestered about quite heavily was um, their efforts for this sort of uh, Project Dragonfly, I think it's called. Um, it's a like Chinese version or a, a Chinese government regulation um, compatible search product, um, which uh, Pachai has said a number of times, like this was an internal thing. 
um, which is not something we're looking to release, but that we did work on it. Points had over a hundred people working on. Um, so I don't think it's unreasonable for any commercial company to look at what it would look like to, ha- to, to, to do something to work in China. China is a massive market. Um, you know, they've pretty well got the rest of the world on lock. Um, why wouldn't they want to see what it would look like to make a product that would comply with what they have to in China? Um, even if they decide not to do it, which, you know, who knows when we haven't got, um, DJ team doing crazy tariffs left, right and center. Um, and obviously trying to like align himself with people and cause friction with other people. Um, you know, the world could be a different place very soon, uh, at any point. And, um, suddenly it would be really obviously a good choice to be working with China. Um, and they would have a product ready to go almost. Um, so that doesn't seem like this, this massive nefarious, um, or nefarious, I don't know how you pronounce that word. Um, scheme to like help the Chinese government manipulate its people or anything like that at this point um, don't be wrong I, I'm sure that Google in a way is trying to manipulate people to go to targeted adverts and stuff like that so they definitely are doing that kind of thing but I don't think they're trying to do it in any malicious fashion that they don't do already um, you know it's, it's, a, it's a big issue uh, one for Google to worry about. Um, I think the negative, um, impact on some of their business and stuff like that, if they did start getting in bed with the Chinese government, is probably quite large. Um, I find it a bit strange. Like, I mean, whatever you think of the Chinese government, the Chinese people are just people and they're trying to just do stuff. Uh, it must be very frustrating to know that there's a whole lot of stuff on the internet out there that you can't do or get hold of. Um, at the same time, um, you know, maybe trying to work with them to do, to give them as much information as you can do is, is a good thing. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think that's kind of stepping away from a technology thing and getting into a more political thing, which I'm not really well versed enough in to know about. So, uh, that's probably where I'll leave that one. Um, <clears throat> so next on my list of tech things to talk about is, uh, this new, 3D printer from MakerBot, the MakerBot method. Um, so I was watching their promotional video for it, um, which is all very nice, all very jazzy. Um, so MakerBot, I should probably preface this with, is like one of the first, um, 3D printer companies that got any sort of real traction and people knew about. Um, in the school that I used to work at, we had a MakerBot, uh, I think it was called a Replicator 3. Um, I believe that Replicator was still their current product line um, from 2009 to like now, basically. Um, anyway, this new Method one is apparently going to be way better. Um, I mean, maybe it didn't. It, it didn't. The, the products it was making didn't seem that amazing to me. I mean, I think the thing is that they're trying to charge like six and a half thousand uh, American dollars for this thing. Um, whereas just the other day, my dad bought a PLA 3D printer, uh, f- from like Banggood or something like that, um, for like 160 quid. Um, and it is really impressive. Like it's much better than the MakerBot that we originally had, which again was over a thousand pounds, even with, um, some discount that we got from a sponsor. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would be interested. 
in seeing the difference between what the makeup art method can do and like a 160 pound, uh, I think I'm just trying to remember the actual name of the one my dad got an Ender, Ender three. Um, I can't remember who makes it. Maybe Ender three is the company that makes it. I don't know. If you type in Ender three 3D printing, I'm sure that it will come up. Um, but regardless, that's got like a heated bed, all this sort of stuff. And you can make 3D stuff out of, uh, PLA plastic or, um, all the other stuff that goes through the same. They make a bunch of different filaments that you can print out of, uh, that you can print stuff out of. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive to be fair. And the fact that my dad, works with 3d cad means that he can make some pretty jazzy stuff uh, i think don't think he's really had too much time to play with it um as yet but i'm sure that by the time he gets his head fully around it it's going to be churning out some pretty good stuff certainly the resolution and all that sort of stuff seems pretty high so i mean you've got i've got this question of whether whether this new one from makerbot the method is worth you know six thousand dollars more uh, well, plus six thousand plus dollars more than the one that my dad's got, which isn't even the most expensive one you can get. Um, oh, the most cheapest one you can get. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I suppose it depends totally on your, um, what you're trying to achieve with it. I mean, I saw a 3D printer. Uh, I definitely don't remember the name of this one, but it was on, uh, Ted Talk, which kind of like reverse printed it. It kind of like pulled the, the object out of uh, a liquid bath. Um, and basically it, it's kind of like stereolithography, um, but it was, it was significantly faster and, and it didn't have the same kind of like, cause with 3D printing, traditional 3D printing, um, on home setups, they, they basically are like layers of, um, of plastic. So if you think how you would put, make an ice cream cone and just keep swirling up the ice cream cone, that's basically what a 3D printer is doing with really thin bits of plastic over and over and over and over and over again. Um, whereas this other one that I saw on the TED talk was it, it was, it's hard to explain. It basically was like lasering material. It's like stereolithography, if you know what that is. Similar sort of thing. So a laser, lasers are intersecting at the point of, um, coming into the air uh in some fluid which then becomes solid when it when it's lasered uh, i mean a massively massively um understating the actual technology involved there but that's effectively what's going on and it pulls out the shape so unlike sort of traditional uh home 3d printing it's not layers it's like a single block so you don't have like uh the weaknesses that you might experience in, in a uh standard 3d printed piece um now, if you've done 3D printing or handled it, you kind of know what I mean. It, it, and I don't want to over, I don't want to make it sound like these 3D printed things are, are weak and terrible. They're really not, but you know that if it's going to break, it's going to break along a, uh, a, a, a join in this plastic effectively. So you have to consider that when you're making stuff as well, uh, so that your bits and bobs don't just snap super easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that one I was talking about last I heard was about $40,000. So it's significantly more expensive than this MakerBot method. Um, but significantly more than the thing like my dad's got. Now, they, when, when I read about it, I think it feels like they're targeting like makers. Uh, I'm trying to think of what they're even called. Well, I was going to say maker stations, but that's not right. But like they have these sort of, uh, community maker maker spaces there we go that's what i was looking for um community maker space where people can 
go and use a bunch of tools and do all this sort of stuff. And maybe, I mean, are, are these places that well funded that they can just drop six and a half grand on a uh, 3D printer? I don't know. Maybe they are. Um, but certainly I have no, never actually been to one. Like I like the idea of one, but the nearest one to me is quite far away. Um, but you know, maybe that is the kind of money they're throwing around at machines and stuff. Uh, and even if they are, like I, I just, maybe they should buy like three of the cheaper ones and see if they get used at all. Because I think a lot of times people think, oh yeah, 3D printing, uh, I've, there's a million things I could 3D print, but when it comes down to actually drawing it up, designing it up and making something useful out of it, you know, there's a lot of these weird little frogs and, um, rocket things. And, um, I'm trying to remember what they are, like the standard things that people print. They've got like, a these little, uh, pincer things that people manage to print out and all sorts of stuff. Standard things. Once they do all them, then it's like, oh yeah, um, yeah, now I've got a 3D printer and haven't really got any great ideas or skills which are going to make this super useful. I mean, there's Thingiverse, which is a website full of downloadable 3D printable stuff, which is great, but you can also send stuff to shapeways which is a industrial like 3d printing website which will just print stuff out for you and then you can get much higher quality you can get stuff 3d printed in metal etc from there um and obviously if you're just paying for like one or two bits that you need every now and then it's probably cheaper than trying to figure out buy run have the filament everything like that for your own 3d printer um, so yeah, I don't know. I still think 3D printing has got a lot of potential. I mean, it's being used in industry, but not the same sort of things that we're talking about here. Uh, I mean, I think, um, jet engines have got 3D printed bits in spacecraft and stuff like that. I've got 3D printed bits in them these days. Um, which is great, but it's not, then the technologies are not similar and the costs are not similar to what we're talking about here. Um, but anyway, we'll see that maybe that's going to be super successful for them. Maybe there's lots of people with six and a half grand burning a hole in their pocket who want to print out some, uh, plastic frogs or whatever they want to print out. Um, we will see, I guess. Um, so lastly, I'm just going to talk about a, uh, post that I put on, um, charlesgray.com about podcasting. So I certainly don't want to appear to, come across that I am the guru of podcasting because that is very much not the case but I have done a bit of podcasting I have listened to a lot of podcasts um, and I wrote a blog post which is basically supposed to just get make it so that you know to give you a understanding of what you need to do if you want to have a podcast um, it, I talk about anchor and talk about not using Anchor, which is what this podcast will be on. Um, the one you're listening to now does not go through Anchor, but I have dabbled with Anchor as well. And I have to say, if I was starting tomorrow, I probably would just keep it on Anchor because it's just super easy. They, they've got the distribution side of things down real well. Uh, editing it on the phone, on your phone or iPad, real easy. The whole thing is really good on Anchor, I have to say. Um, but at the same time, I can't. I can't grumble with what Blueberry's given me here. Um, using WordPress, it's like, I guess, I, I suppose it depends on whether you're one of these people who wants super control of everything you're doing or whether you just want to get, get your thoughts heard. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, if you're interested in podcasting, you've got a podcast that you, like an idea that you want to get out there, then have, give that a little read that, um, 
it's on charlesgrid.com and then if you probably press on social media or wordpress um you'll be able to find it on there um if you can't find it hit me up and i'll send you a link um speaking of which um we judge well i judge my success of this podcast as on whether anyone ever tweets me about it uh so far I have been unsuccessful. Uh, so far, uh, no one has tweeted me about the podcast. Um, well, no one who's not directly related to me anyway. Um, so if you hear this and you want to make a bearded ginger man happy, send me a tweet. Let me know what you think, uh, or, or on Twitter at Charles Gregg, C-H-A-R-L-E-S-G-R-E-I-G. Um, just ping me a message and say, yo man, what's up? Or whatever you want to t- say. Um, also, if you want to link to that article and you can't find it, ping me a message and I'll get that sent straight over to you. Um, yeah, so realistically, that's about that for today. Um, yeah, so have a, have a great week, everybody. Take it easy.